You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Yeah, you are so loved, so loved. Hi, everybody, and welcome today. If you're just joining us, welcome to Mosaic Church Online. My name is Morgan, the lead pastor here, and I'm excited for us to be together. Miss you so much, but glad for our time together in these moments today. We are at the tail end, right? We're finishing up, wrapping up this series we've been in in the book of James. It's called We Were Made for This. But before we get into our time and our passage today, I just want to give you a, a quick sneak peek at what's coming next. Next week we'll be beginning a brand new series. I'm super excited about this called One Another. One Another. We'll be taking a look at what it means to live at the heart of Christian community. We'll be asking questions like, what does it mean? To love thy neighbor. What does it mean to care for all the people in your life? The people in this church. What does it mean to love people across racial, ethnic, gender, political lines? We believe, I believe the gospel of Jesus can point us to how we can do all that. It shows us how we can one another, one another. And I hope you'll join us next week as we get started with that. But let's take a look today at our final passage out of the book of James. It's going to be from the end of chapter 5. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful. And effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. And all God's people said, Amen. There's an old Jewish legend from the Talmud. It's a collection of ancient Jewish teachings. An old legend uh, which tried to get at the heart uh, of what the Jewish Messiah would be like. And the legend is about a conversation between a famous rabbi and the prophet Elijah. And in the legend, as the story goes, an old rabbi, Rabbi Ben Levi, came upon the prophet Elijah one day and asked him this question. When will the Messiah come? When will the Messiah come? But Elijah replied, why don't you go and ask him yourself? Well, surprised, Rabbi Ben Levi asked, well, where is he? Elijah said this, he is sitting at the gates of the city. He is sitting among the poor covered with wounds. The others unbind all their wounds at the same time and then bind them all up again. But the Messiah unbinds only one of his at a time, saying to himself, Perhaps I shall be needed. If so, I must always be ready so as not to delay for a moment. You know, what's, what's the point being made here? I think the point being made is this. It's that real ministry, 
authentic ministry, messianic ministry, I'll go so far as to say Christian ministry, is done by the one who longs to bring healing into the world, by the one who longs to bring healing. See, following the Messiah, following Jesus means we know that we were made for healing. We're made for healing. That's what we're going to take a look at today. We were made to be healers, reconcilers. Isaiah says, repairers of the breach. We were made to do personal moral, spiritual reclamation in the world. And today, James is going to give us three unique resources, three tools to be able to do just that. And as we're going to see, they're all a little different. They're all a little unique because sometimes, sometimes bringing healing means you send someone to a spa. But sometimes bringing healing means you send someone to a surgeon. James kind of sends us to both here, points us at both, but still, still, these are all aimed at bringing healing. All right, here's my question. How then can we bring healing into the world? James says it's through these three unique resources. Through Number one, it's through prayer that never gives up. Two, through confession that never gives out. And number three, through courage that never quits. Prayer, confession, Courage, all here from James 5. Let's begin here, number one, and take a look at prayer that never gives up. So, James the Just, that's what he was known as. James the Just, the writer of this letter, he, he was the pastor of the early church in Jerusalem. He was the pastor of the very first group of Christ followers in the whole world. They were a group of people on the underside of power in the Roman Empire. He, he was pastoring a group of cultural, religious minorities. They were persecuted. They were ostracized, and so far we've seen that James has exhorted them to live lives that care deeply for the poor. He's pleaded with them not to show partiality in the church. He's corrected them for speaking out against one another. But here, now, like a good pastor, he is coming to them to comfort them in their sorrow. Look at how he launches this whole section on prayer. Verse 13, he asks, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Now, why does he say this? Because you'll notice, he didn't say, is anyone in trouble? Let them complain. Is anyone in trouble? Let them blame. But trouble is just a word that means going through a hard time. He's asking, is anyone going through hard stuff? And he's asking this question to a group of people who are suffering. And to them, he says, let them pray. Now, it sounds kind of insensitive, doesn't it? But it's not. Not if you know what James knew, which is what? Why, why is that? Well, someone by the name of Sadhu Sundar Singh. Sadhu is a Hindu term of religious respect, sort of like pastor. Sadhu Sundar Singh was known as the, the St. Paul of India in the early 20th century. He was converted after persecuting the Christian church. He publicly burned Bibles from Christian missionaries in his area, but he despaired of the emptiness of the Hindu faith he had been taught to the point of ending his own life. And one night at his lowest moment, he cried out to God to reveal himself. And maybe some of you need to do that today, tonight, maybe right now. But because of that, he had an encounter with the glory of God, which filled his room in the middle of the night. And he heard the voice of God speaking to him in his own Hindustani language. And God said to him, he asked him, how long 
Are you going to persecute me? I died for you. For you, I gave my life. You were, you were praying to know the right way. Why don't you take it? I am the way. And Sunder Singh was converted to faith in Jesus, but he, he still kept the dress, the yellow saffron dress of the sadhus, and he went from village to village preaching Jesus. And he lived this fascinating, incredible life, but his death was shrouded in mystery. He repeatedly tried to bring the gospel into the mountains of Tibet, but he failed over and over again. And then in April of 1929, Sadhu Sundar Singh was last seen high on a mountain trail that led into Tibet and he was never seen from, heard from, alive ever again. But his teachings were collected into a book called With and Without Christ. And here is what he said about prayer as someone who practiced it in the face of what James called trouble. He said this, quote, It is very difficult to explain the deep experience of the inner life but it can be enjoyed and put into action. This is what I mean. One day, during my meditation and prayer, I felt his presence strongly. My heart overflowed with heavenly joy. I saw that in the world of sorrow and suffering, of trouble, there is a hidden and inexhaustible mine of great joy of which the world knows nothing. In comparison with this big world, the human heart is only a small thing. Though the world is so large, it is utterly unable to satisfy this tiny heart. Our ever-growing soul and its capacities can be satisfied only in the infinite God as water is restless until it reaches its level. So the soul has no peace until it rests in God. See, if any of you, any of you are in trouble, James is saying, go down into the inexhaustible mine of the heart of God and find it filled with joy there for you. See, prayer, he says, brings healing to you. But, 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 but if some in our, in our world want to reduce prayer to a substitute for action, which we cannot do, others want to reduce prayer to their last resort, which we should never do. And, and I know you're saying right now, Morgan, I don't want to do this. I don't feel like praying. I know sometimes I don't feel like it either. That's part of what it means. To be human is not to feel like it sometimes, but also what I think it means to be in relationship with God is still even to pray in the face of your feelings. And that's kind of, that's part of why I think James right here, he says, of all the people you should look to in the Bible as an example of prayer, he says, look at someone named Elijah. And Elijah, as you heard, he's someone highly revered by Jews, by Muslims, by Christians all together. Why Elijah? He says, he puts it like this. Elijah was a human being, even as we are, and he prayed earnestly. Yeah, he's saying Elijah was an amazing human as a human. He had 10 recorded miracles as a human. He was an activist who stood against the corruption, against the idolatry of his nation in that day. And yeah, as a human, he got fire from heaven, which proved the one true God's reality and power. But also, as a human, Elijah got scared. As a human, Elijah got depressed. As a human, Elijah prayed, Oh Lord, take my life. So, so where did he go to find the strength to keep him in the fight? Where did he go to get the encouragement that at some point no other human being could give to his soul? Oh, Elijah. Elijah encountered God in his own kind of mind. In 1 Kings 19, 
at Elijah's low point as a human. You may know the story. God summons him to a cave. And yes, it was after God cared for his whole nature, his whole person. Hey, he gave him a, a kind of bed and breakfast with a riverfront view. If you know the story, he, he cooked for Elijah. How many of you would like God to cook for you? I kind of think that might be pretty good bread he got there. It was. But God pulled him into a cave, called him into a cave where Elijah experiences the gentle whisper of God. He pours out his pain, his trouble. He finds his soul refreshed, restored. Why? Because this is what prayer can do. And out of that inexhaustible mind of the joy in the heart of God, we can now receive the And James goes on to say, pray for one another. We can now lay hands on. That means to, to show a sign of solidarity and support. We now anoint with oil and pray for each other. You're saying, Morgan, you had me up till the oil. What's the deal with the oil? Is that like a superstitious thing? I don't know. Not only was olive oil a kind of homeopathic remedy for ailments of all kind in that day, still today, but anointing with oil was something that was done in the Hebrew scriptures to prophets and to kings. It showed that God had a special purpose for their lives. And in the same way, now, when we anoint the sick with oil, we show that God has a purpose, special purpose for them still, still, though they're suffering, that we show them God is not through with their lives until they're called out of this life and into the life to come. See, anointing with oil says to that person who's suffering, you're special. God sees you. You're like a king. You're like a queen. You're like a prophet. You're like a special and chosen minister right now of Almighty God. See, see, out of the joy of knowing Jesus that the world does not know, our part is to pray the prayer of faith. So do it. Pray the prayer of faith. God's part is to raise the sick person up. We can't raise a sick person up. I can't raise a sick person up. And by the way, which is why you and I, we should never assume that somehow it's a person's fault if they're sick and they pray and they don't get healed. That's, that's a kind of like spiritual malpractice. So don't do that. Don't do that to yourself. But our calling, what we were made for, is to pray earnestly to pray the prayer of faith and to not give up, to tap into that bottomless reservoir, the endless fountain of the goodness and the grace of God and the mercy in the kingdom of God and find it for ourselves. Drink deeply of it. Give it away to others. Oh Lord, teach us to pray. Amen. See, there's prayer number one. It never gives up. It brings healing ourselves, others. But also, also, number two, another way, James says, we can bring healing into the world. It's through here, confession that never gives out. What do I mean? Look at this. James goes on to say, therefore, confess your sins to one another, each other, pray for each other, so that you may be healed. Now, the, the word here for confession means to agree with the truth. And James is saying, he's saying you got to keep on doing this. The verb tense here in the Greek, it says, keep on confessing sins. Keep on confessing wrongdoings, plural, like he says, to one another. Keep doing confession. Never gives out. It never stops. Oh, and this one's tough because, because if prayer is kind of like going to the spa, Confessions kind of like going to the surgeon. 
In the 19th century, there was a, a famous pastor you may have heard of, probably heard of. His name was Dwight Moody, D.L. Moody. He pastored this big megachurch in Chicago. He was very influential. He was sort of a celebrity pastor in his day. And at the height of his impact, the height of his influence, he was invited to speak in front of a group of prospective ministers and pastors. And in the middle of his talk, there was this one smart, alecky student out in the crowd who couldn't resist and asked him, as the story goes, a really preposterous fairly insulting, rude question in order to try to fluster D.L. Moody, made him make him look really foolish. And of course, I know that none of you have ever done that in any of your classrooms. None of you are doing that right now in your head to me today. But anyway, the, the question was so insulting and rude, it actually flustered D.L. Moody. And he gave this kind of harsh, fairly stinging, but accurate, nonetheless, answer to the out-of-line, over-the-line student. And again, how the story goes, the reaction in the room was actually positive and supportive of D.L. Moody because the, the collective student body was so embarrassed by how their classmate had treated the pastor. And that seemed to be that until at the end of the lecture when suddenly D.L. Moody stopped himself, he looked out, and he said to the audience, friends, I have to confess <clears throat> that at the beginning of my meeting, I gave a very foolish answer to my brother here. He looked out, he said, I asked God to forgive me and I asked him, ask him to forgive me. And the young man who had sort of had his head down and of course had felt fairly humiliated, he looked up, he began to smile. Before you know it, the two are down front embracing. Now, I know in these days today of Dr. Phil, uh, of Oprah, where everybody hugs it out on national TV, that may not seem like much, but back in that day, it's a really big deal, and it is a big deal today, especially from some of you who are from like shame and honor cultures where the concept of face is a big deal, saving face, especially in many Asian cultures, not, a, uh, not a exclusive to that culture, but uh, those cultures, but still, Asian cultures, you know how important saving face is and how many times authorities are never a question, and they're always right, they're unapproachable, and if you were to do something like that, that, like that student in the story did, you could expect a swift blow your reputation, your future. But think about that story. Go back to it for a second. How, how remarkable is it when something like that happens, when someone who has wronged you comes back? And let's just acknowledge that the student who did that probably was mostly in the wrong. He definitely instigated the whole thing. But what was Moody's wrong? It was responding in kind. So what did he do? He just took responsibility for whatever part, whatever portion, whatever fraction he needed to. He didn't say, but you did that, so I did that. He just said, I did that and let it stand. Why? So that the relationship with that young man and really the whole room could be healed. Henri Nguyen, great writer, thinker, puts it like this. He said this, a Christian community is therefore a healing community, not just because wounds are cured and pains are alleviated, but because wounds and pains become openings or occasions for a new vision. So what's, what's this new vision? The new vision is that there are actually people in the world with the character to apologize, that there are actually people in the world who can take responsibility for what they've done, that there are actually people. When we do this, we show the world there are actually people who can relate to each other with humility and self-awareness. And it's almost, it's almost like there's some kind of kingdom 
present among us with some kind of strange magic at work among them. See, we do this, James says, and we keep on doing this. Why? So that we may be healed. Not so that we can show off how complicated we are, how messed up we are, how interesting we are. No, so that we may be healed. And if you you want a case study from the Bible and the New Testament of confession, just look at Jesus' teaching uh, on a person who repents. His story, you may know it. It's the younger brother in the parable of the two sons. You may know it as the parable of the prodigal son. Jesus gives this case study. Uh, This young man, he's left home, betrayed his family. He's far away, now out in a pigsty, broke, poor. But he begins to practice his confession. What does he plan on saying? Take a look. Jesus puts it like this. in In the young man's mouth, the young man says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So, so, what does true confession look like? Well, we get four things quickly here at least. First, there's an acknowledgement of the truth that there's been sin. The taking of responsibility. The young man says, I've done this. The naming of those wrong. He says, Father. And the acknowledgement of God's moral authority. He says, I've sinned against heaven. But here, now, Here's what I want from you. I I want you to stop thinking, because you hear this, you're like, this is pretty great. If I could get that, stop thinking about all the people you wish and who need to do this with you. They should do that. I can't make them. You can't make them. I want you to think, though, about the people in your life you may need to do this with. See, what you sow, the Bible promises you'll reap if you sow repentance. Confession, James is saying, you will reap healing. You get healed. Maybe, maybe in a way you didn't know was possible. You say, Morgan, this is like hard. I know, I told you, it's really hard. If, if you showed up today to get tips on how to binge watch Netflix better in a pandemic, you're on watching the wrong station. But this is actually worse than you think because over in Matthew 18, it says, not only should you do this, should you go to those that you know you've wronged, but it says, if a brother or sister says you've wronged them, you've got to go to them and at least hear it out. You say, well, that's worse. Again, I know I told you so, but this is how, James says, we can become a community that brings healing. We confess, keep on confessing. So what do we need to be able to do all of this hard, hard stuff? To pray never give up, to confess and confess and to be healed. What do we need? Well, James here, number three, he points us to a kind of final resource which undergirds and gives life to the rest. Here it is. We'll we'll put it like they call it. It's courage. (laughs) We need courage that never quits. Look at this, uh, verse 19. He says, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. And just like that, boom, he's done. James out. Letter over. And you thought like Paul's letters could end on a kind of a tough note. No, James, James just mic drops you so hard here. You're left wondering what just happened. Is there like a page missing from the letter? Oh, but I think, I think he does this to force you and me to ask this question. 
what does it really mean to follow Jesus? What are we left with here? What does it mean to follow Jesus? Is it doing evangelism? Is it seeking justice? Is it seeking to reconcile people together? James would say somehow, yes, all of that is Christian ministry. That's what the church is here for. It's somehow turning people away through multiple means from evil and turning towards God. And it's going to take courage. Dr. Celestin Musakura, he, he's the current president of the African Leadership and Reconciliation Ministries. But before that, for many years, Dr. Musakura was a Christian pastor in Rwanda where the unspeakable happened back in 1990. And if you live through that, you may recall what happened. In 100 days, 1 million people were massacred primarily by two warring tribes, the minority Tutsis, majority Hutus. And Celestin felt called to lead a church in Rwanda made up of both tribes, Hutus, Tutsis. His vision was to see people who had once killed each other's families now receiving communion together through the healing, reconciling cup Jesus Christ. And as he preached this and lived this, modeled this, his fellow Hutus, the majority tribe, they felt betrayed by them, by him, because he called them to collectively repent, to collectively seek forgiveness for how they had treated the minority tribe. And the minority tribe, Tutsis, hated him because he called them to offer forgiveness and they, they, he called them to offer restoration. And as a result, he was repeatedly beaten. And one time he was tortured for three and a half hours at a police station made up of his own tribe and people. But his church began to grow. It kept on growing until a few years later when his life took a horrific turn. One Sunday morning, as he prepared to preach, a Tutsi mob invaded his village. They murdered his family, murdered his father, murdered his friends. And after that, he thought, I can't do this anymore. I can't go on anymore. And maybe, maybe this is you today somehow. Maybe you feel like, you can't go on anymore. Your marriage, your job, your family, school, your life, our nation, this world, because you really have been horrifically wronged. How can we go on? Well, in that moment, Celestin said, he said the Holy Spirit spoke something to him, and he wrote down something incredibly difficult to hear. This is what he heard God say to him. In his book, he puts it like this. He said, God said to him, quote, you have been teaching others about repentance and forgiveness. It's now your turn to forgive those who killed your relatives without asking where I was. You can either choose to be a hypocrite who teaches what he does not practice, or you can be the wounded healer who gives the healing gift of forgiveness to the undeserving. Now, why do I share this story? Did it tell you to do the same thing? Of course not. Live the same thing? Not necessarily. Think the same way? Not really. Because what he went through is incredibly complex. It's hard. But I tell you this because, number one, it's simply true. Number two, because I want to honor our African brother's story and sacrifice and courage. But mostly because, number three, I think what's at the heart of what he heard points us right back to where we started at the beginning today. 
What is messianic ministry? What is Christian ministry? What were we made for? We were made to bring healing, though we ourselves are wounded. Where do we, how can we get the courage for this? Oh, we can only get it from the real, original wounded healer, Jesus of Nazareth. Because when Jesus, when he told that parable about that lost son on that day, do you know what else he was showing us that day? That day, he was showing us the kind of courage it's going to take to do all of this. That day, it says, that day, he told three consecutive parables about lostness to show the kind of healer that he was. That day, he told a story about a lost sheep, a story about a lost coin. And in each case, not only does it say that someone went after the lost sheep, someone went after that lost coin, but it said in the same way when a sinner who's found, when a sinner who repents and begins to follow Jesus does that, now there is rejoicing in heaven. Oh, but what did it take? It took someone going after a lost sheep, a lost coin. But what about that third story that day? The one about the lost son. No one went after him. Oh, but someone in the parable should have. Who was it? It was the elder brother. He should have gone after his younger brother and brought him back to his father's house. But because he wouldn't, because he couldn't, we see he was lost too. See, Jesus is pointing us all to see the stunning conclusion that he is the true elder brother who does what religion cannot, who does what condemnation cannot, who does what cold-shouldered moral superiority and judgment cannot, and what self-expression cannot, what living exclusively in your feelings cannot. Jesus risked his life. He came as the one who came to seek us, to save us, to find us like the lost sheep we are and like the lost sheep you are, I am, because we're also more valuable to him than just a lost coin. We are priceless to him. He came to us like James says, to us who are wandering from the truth, to us who are lost in the air of our ways, and he has saved us from death, from an eternal death by, wow, covering a multitude of our sins by his own death, by his own sacrifice, by taking our sins as his own by his wounds we are healed and when you see that when you allow that truth to pierce your heart it's the foundation of your life do you know what i think springs up i think courage springs up I think courage to go and bring someone to Jesus springs up. Courage to do what the New Testament, yes, calls evangelism. That is to share the good news with the world that thank God this world isn't all there is. That God has revealed himself by sending his own self, his son, as the true elder brother to bring us back home to his heart. And not just courage for that. Oh, but courage to turn someone else from the error of their ways, from a pattern of sin that they are blind to. And that kind of ministry, oh, it's risky. It's painful. It would have cost that older brother everything. That's why he didn't do it. It takes courage to preach Jesus over and over. It takes courage to confront racism over and over in our day, in our nation. It takes courage to humble ourselves and confess our sin over and over. But when we look at our wounded healer, Jesus, we get the courage we need to bring that today, tomorrow, next week, next month into our world. Now, 
You may recall, let me recall that little story back at the beginning. Uh, the little legend of Rabbi Ben Levi. I began with a few moments ago, and if you'll remember in that story, Rabbi Ben Levi, he had asked the prophet Elijah, when will the Messiah come? And there is actually a conclusion, beautiful conclusion to the story. After Elijah explained that the Messiah could be found among the wounded, the gates of the city, Rabbi Ben Levi went to see for himself. And as the story goes, Rabbi went up to the Messiah. In the story, he said this, Peace unto you, my master and teacher. The Messiah said, Peace unto you, son of Levi. The rabbi asked, When is the master, the Messiah, coming? The Messiah answered, Today. And the rabbi went back up the, the hill to Elijah, as the story goes, and Elijah asked him, So what did the Messiah say to you? The rabbi said, he has indeed deceived me, for he said, today I am coming, and he has not come. But Elijah said, this is what he really told you. He said he was coming today if he would hear his voice. What's he saying? He's saying that healing, healing from the Messiah, Jesus, can come today if your heart is open to it, if your ears are open to it, if your mind is open to it. Would you? Would you hear his voice today? Tell you he loves you. Tell you he wants to bring you home. Wants to speak to you, touch you, take you into the mine of joy he has for you. Would you hear the person of Jesus Christ speaking to you today? Our wounded healer. Why are we here? Paul, Paul put it like this. Jews, Jews look for a sign. Greeks look for wisdom. But the church preaches Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the world. Christ, the power of God, and Christ, the wisdom of God. And from him today, let me tell you, you can find the courage you need but to step into that place of healing, and yes, to bring healing into our world. Hope you can say amen to that. Let me just pray for you and take a moment here and ask that Almighty God will give us grace to live this. Lord, we just come to you now. We thank you for coming first to us. We know you love us because while we were sinners, you died for us. Lord, I'm asking you would give us the grace and the courage we need to go out into the world, to turn those from the error of their ways. It's so hard. The courage we need to stand up, speak what's right, to live out truth, and yes, to confess when and where we're wrong. Would you give us the grace, the courage we need by, by coming to our hearts afresh today? Now, in Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.